We left off last week with Paul and Barnabas back in Antioch declaring all that God had done to open the door for the Gentiles to believe. Now remember, Antioch was the base camp for the church of Gentile believers. Now we're going to pick up in chapter 15, and today what I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize, because there's about 40 verses, I'm going to summarize the chapter and kind of stop accordingly at different passages um, to highlight certain things. Now this, chapter 15 was around the time the letter to the Galatian church was written, and an incident happened between Peter and Paul, and that was during the, the scripture reading this morning, um, you probably caught on to that. That was an incident where Peter and Paul, uh, Paul actually had to confront Peter. See, Peter had no problem sitting down and eating and fellowshipping with Gentile believers. But then there was a group of Jewish believers in Christ that uh, Paul called the Judaizers. And basically what was happening was, is these Judaizers were coming to the Gentile believers and saying, you know what, in order for you to become a real Christian, you have to convert to Judaism first, which means that you have to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses in order to be saved. So Peter, what happened was, this group was doing this. Peter actually shrunk back and avoided spending time with the Gentiles and eating with the Gentiles because he was afraid the Judaizers would say, Peter, you're unclean. So in order to kind of protect himself, he kind of veered off from the gospel and kind of, uh, you know, kind of backslid in a sense. So what happens was in Galatians 2, uh, in Galatians 2, Peter came to Antioch and Paul confronted him. He was like, dude, what's going on with you? Why are you doing this? Why are you believing what they say? Why are you forsaking the fellowship with Gentile believers when you know they're actually believers? So here's what uh, Paul says in Galatians 2. We ourselves are Jews by birth. This is to Peter. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one can be justified. So now Paul goes to Peter and says, yo, do you remember the gospel? Okay. The gospel is we're saved through faith in Jesus, not by any works. So essentially, Paul was reminding Peter, we're all sinners. Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave to prove that he is God. And Jesus said, all who believe will have eternal life. It's not by works so that no one can boast. It's by faith in Christ. So Peter, you know, kind of like gets confronted by Paul and Paul's like, what are you doing? Remember the gospel? Remember the gospel. So then we pick up in Acts chapter 15 verses one through five. It records sometime after this account in Galatians two, Peter back in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the base camp for the Jewish believers, right? The Jewish believers in Christ. So Paul and Barnabas are in Antioch and these Judaizers show up. They came down to Antioch, they started teaching that the Gentiles had to be circumcised and follow the law of Moses in order to become Christians. So it, essentially they had to convert to Judaism in order to convert to becoming a Christian. So Paul and Barnabas are like, no, we're not having this, confronts them and heads up to Jerusalem to go to talk to the leaders in the church up there because 
they're sending people down that are teaching false things. So remember, the church in Jerusalem, that's the main base camp for the Jewish believers in Jesus. So that's where we pick up here in verse 15, verses 5 through 6. It says, But some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up. So Paul and Barnabas are up there in Jerusalem. Some believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees rose up and says, It is necessary to circumcise them and to order them to keep the laws of Moses. The apostles and the elders were gathered together to consider this matter. So there's a group of these Judaizers. They say, no, no, this is the way it's got to go down. They have to obey the law of Moses in order to become Christians. So they have to become Jewish to become Christians. So this will later be referred to as the Jerusalem Council. So all these elders and the apostles, they're together. They're like, okay, what's going on? Now remember, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. The New Testament is being written right now. They're living the New Testament. So they couldn't go check. They couldn't go and see, okay, what, what's going on here, okay? Let's go to Philemon or let's go to Ephesians. Like, they couldn't do that. They were living the New Testament. So now in Acts 15, verses 7 through 11, Peter stands up. And he reminds them of the Gentiles that have been saved and that we've witnessed through the study in our books of Acts. So, so Peter stands up and says, hey, remember that guy Cornelius? He was one of the first Gentiles that was saved. And remember all these other people that, that got saved? They, they're Christians now. They believe in Jesus. They receive the Holy Spirit. So there's no need for these people to obey the law of Moses, to be circumcised and obey the law of Moses. So Peter obviously learned his lesson when Paul confronted him, which is good, because if you've ever confronted somebody... You kind of hope that they kind of listen, right? And actually do what they're supposed to do and, and get set straight. So Peter obviously learned his lesson, and now he defends the Gentile believers. So then it goes on in, in uh, Acts 15, 11. It says, But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. So that's Peter saying, this is the gospel. We believe that you're saved through Jesus Christ, okay? Not through any observance of the law. So then after Peter says this, Paul and Barnabas speak up and remind the council, hey, remember all those signs and wonders that we did in, in front of the Gentiles? And I've talked about this, right? It was a special apostolic time where they were doing miracles. The miracles actually validated that they were carrying the word of God and actually messengers of God. So they did all these miracles before the Gentiles in order to validate the message, right? These miracles weren't just to heal the people, but it was to validate the message. So Paul and Barnabas say that. Then in verses 13 through 21, James, the brother of Jesus, speaks up. So now James, the brother of Jesus, speaks up. James says, Listen to what Peter had to say about the Gentiles becoming believers. And in fact, the prophet Amos talked about that. Now, the prophet Amos was something that the Jewish people would know. Remember, when you have a Jewish audience, they know Jewish scriptures, right? They know the Old Testament. So the best way to reach them and prove a point to them is by using the very scriptures that they were well aware of. So in Acts chapter 15, James quotes Amos 9, 11 through 12. It says this, After this I will return, and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it. 
that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from the old. So basically, God promised to restore the fallen tent of David and rebuild its ruins. This is actually a prophecy of Jesus. Being crucified, fallen. Being resurrected, rebuilt. Being exalted, restored. So we're going to see that through this, through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, that Gentiles will be saved. So here's what James does, essentially. He kind of connects the dots, because all these people would have known about Amos' prophecy. And they were thinking, like, when's this going to happen? When's this tent of David going to be restored? When's it going to be exalted? When's it going to be rebuilt? Well, James steps up and says, it's through Jesus. And guess what? The Gentiles will also benefit from this. They'll also be saved through this. They don't have to become Jewish to become Christians. Jesus did the work on the cross. So then James goes on the passage to offer a solution to the problem. Now the problem is this. We have these Jewish Christians that are saying, okay, these Gentile Christians kind of got to get with the program and obey the law, right? So James says, okay, these Jewish Christians aren't fully getting it. We're, we're speaking to them. We're telling them, but they're not fully getting it. So James offers a solution and it starts off. He says, therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God. So his first part of the solution is a good one, right? Okay. He starts off, let's not trouble them with the law of Moses. Okay. Let's not trouble them. It's not necessary for salvation. It's a non-issue. They don't have to worry about that stuff. Preaching the law of Moses to them would be like us today going to tell someone about the gospel, but instead of telling them about Jesus and what he's done, we start to tell them about Christian living. Okay, when you're a Christian, this is what you need to do. You need to worship God. You need to spend time in prayer. You're telling them all about Christian living, but they don't know who Jesus is. Is that effective? No. You kind of want to lead with the gospel, okay? Because guess what? You can't live a Christ-centered life. You can't pursue to have victory over sin without the Holy Spirit, okay? You could try, but it's not going to work. You need to start with the gospel. And the reason why we start with the gospel as well is the truth is we don't want people to think that God's accepting them into eternity because they've been a good boy or girl, okay? We want them to know that it was Jesus' death on the cross that allowed each one of us to have salvation when we believe. So here's further of James' solution to this problem. He says this, but we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols and from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he has read every Sabbath in the synagogues. So here's what James does next. He gives them something that's not a command, but it's a suggestion. It's a suggestion and a concession that hinges on the fact that there are Jewish believers in Jesus that Gentiles, out of respect for, should abstain from certain practices that actually offend these Jewish people. Now, in, in some senses, 
here we have a compromise. The compromise is not of the gospel message, but it's keeping the peace between the Christians. Okay, we have these Jewish upbringing Christians and these Gentile upbringing Christians. So now what he's saying is like, hey, listen, here's what we should suggest. They need to keep the peace. Okay, there needs to be peace in the church because if there's no peace in the church, what happens? They fight. And when they fight, what happens? The gospel doesn't get out. So this is a, a, a big issue for them because if they're going back and forth at each other, there's a world outside the church that's actually dying. So he's saying, hey, listen, there's gonna be some things that I'm gonna ask them not to do. We're gonna get more into those things, but like, let, let's modernize it a little bit. In modern America, it would be like saying to our fellow believers, you know what? Let's not focus on the things that we disagree on. Let's focus on the gospel. So let's not focus on the politics, on the social issues. You know, let's not focus on that stuff. Let's not focus on open-handed doctrines that, you know, different churches believe different things about. Let's focus in on what we do agree on, which is the gospel message, which is what actually saves people. So remember, the gospel defines whether or not someone is a Christian. Do you realize that? The gospel, you don't have to believe everything that, you know, these specific people believe or these specific people. You have to believe the gospel. That's what saves a person's soul. Okay? So you've probably been to other churches or heard of other churches. And they're like, oh, they believe a little bit about this or they believe that. As long as it doesn't go against the gospel, let's keep the focus on the gospel. You know, sometimes we can fall into the trap of thinking in order to have fellowship with other believers, we have to agree on every single doctrine and social issue and political belief. I'll tell you right now, like I, I taught about the end time some time ago, right? And some of you guys listened and like, and then some of you were like, oh, I heard something different about that. There's a lot of different end times views. I mean, they're wrong, but I mean, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Well, here's the thing. There's a lot of different views on what the end times look like. I have commentaries and commentaries of authors that believe vastly different things than what I believe. I'll still read their commentaries. I'll still be blessed by their devotionals and different things like that. Because you know what? It doesn't really matter in some senses. As long as the gospel focus is there, we need to focus in on the gospel. I'm not going to part ways with somebody who doesn't believe exactly every single thing that I believe. They could be wrong. I could be wrong if it's an open-handed issue. I'm not talking about gospel issues. So each Christian generation kind of has its own hot buttons, though, right? Have you noticed this? Each Christian ge generation has its hot buttons that they divide over. And you know what? Years from then, they start to look back and they start to say, I can't believe that Christians divided over that. Can you think of one in the last, like, maybe three years ago to the month that divided Christians? I mean, are we looking back now? I know I am. I said it during the time. I know I'm looking back and saying, I can't believe Christians divided over a global pandemic. I can't believe it. Do you know what happens? I think Satan uses these things to divide Christians. Why? So we can't get the work done. The whole study of Acts, right? The gospel to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, guess what? Satan wants to stop that gospel from going out. 
And he will pull any punch that he can to get us divided and off focus. So some of the elders in Jerusalem and the apostles felt James' suggestion was a good one. Okay, we got to keep the peace down there in Antioch. So we're going to ask these Gentiles to actually benefit the weaker brethren. Because that's what they were, right? They were the weaker brethren at that point. So the goal was to preserve the integrity of the gospel and to also keep the peace between the Jewish believers in Christ and the Gentile believers in Christ. So here's the short letter. It says this. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are the Gentiles in Antioch, Syria, and Sicilia. Greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with these words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions. So now what they say, first they name the issues and ensure them, you know what, we didn't send these guys down to you. Okay, don't be confused. Don't think the church in Jerusalem sent these guys down to teach you that you had to obey the law of Moses and become circumcised in order to become a Christian. So then he says this, the letter says this, it has seemed good to us having come to one accord to choose men and send them with you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. So now they say this. Hey, listen, we're on board with, with Barnabas and Paul. Okay? We love these guys. They're our boys. You know what I mean? Like They risked their lives for the sake of the gospel. We also sent Judas and Silas. We don't know too much about Judas here. This is not obviously Judas Iscariot. This is a, a, an apostle or a disciple named Judas. And Silas, we're going to learn more about as we study in Acts. But we send them down in case they have any clarification questions or you have any clarification questions. They're with them. So then it says this. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to, to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So finally, they say this. Okay, here's, here's what we want you to do. Here's how we want you to live to keep the peace between you and the Jewish believers. Remember, this is not so you will be saved. This is so you will keep the peace. So we're going to go over what they suggest. The first thing they say is abstain from the food sacrificed to idols. Now, if you listened when I taught through Romans, or if you read through Romans, you probably heard about Paul saying, hey, listen, if you're with somebody who's offended that you're eating a piece of meat that was sacrificed to idols, your best bet is to not eat that meat, is to give up your benefit, not eat that meat, so you don't offend them. Because what was going on is this. So people would go to the local meat market, and there would be meat there. Some of that meat was sacrificed to idols. For the Gentile believer, they're like, it's steak, okay? For the Jewish believers, they're like, how did we get this here, okay? Was it sacrificed to idols? So Paul in Romans basically says, it's not sin to eat the meat, but 
it can be a stumbling block and cause others to stumble if you eat that meat in front of them. So James basically says, from the Jerusalem Council, they all say, hey, you know what? Don't eat any of that meat when they're around because it's going to be an offense to them. The idea here is laying aside your rights to benefit another believer. I know that's not popular in America, right? Because we love our rights, right? We, I'm free to do what I want. Nobody can tell me what to do. But you know what? The Christian mindset should be like, you know what? Sometimes I'm going to lay aside my rights to benefit other people for the greater good of them coming to the Lord, them growing in their faith. Because you know what? My rights aren't as important as I think they are sometimes, but this person's eternal soul is very important, and I don't want them to, you know, go the wrong path or believe something wrong. So I'm going to give up some of my rights, maybe for this portion of time. So he says, abstain from food, sacrifice to idols. And then from the blood and from what has been strangled. This is a reference to the Jewish ceremonial preparations of food. So in other words, they were suggesting Gentile believers not eat anything that was not prepared by the Jewish ceremonial laws. But then we take this big leap. We talk about eating. Then all of a sudden he's like, and from sexual immorality. Okay, where did this come from? So it's strange to make this jump by from what they eat to sexual impurity. But most theologians believe that the reason why they made this jump is it's really not actually a jump. Jewish ceremonial marriage rules were found in Leviticus 18. And one of those rules was don't marry someone in your family. You're like, okay, check. We agree with that, right? So basically what's happening here is the Jerusalem council was actually plucking out um, Jewish ceremonial laws from Leviticus 17 and 18 and saying, hey, you know what? Listen, guys, just stay away from that stuff when your fellow Jewish believers in Christ are around because they're struggling. They're gonna, it's going to be a stumbling block from them. So what I'm asking you to do as a Gentile believer is not observe these things because it can cause a stumbling block. This in no way undermines the gospel. This is not something that we look at today and say, okay, let's see what the Jerusalem council said. Okay, we can't eat any meat, sacrifice from idols. Like, we don't look at this as like a command for today. This was something going on during that time to keep the peace in the church. So we have to remember, these are not commands for our Christian life today. These are concessions in order not to offend the newly believing Jewish Christians. So these are not things that we point to today that are Christian living issues. So here's what happens. They close off and say this. If you keep yourself from these things, you will do well. Okay. There's going to be peace. He doesn't say you're going to be saved. He's going to say, okay, there's going to be peace. Because we know if a church doesn't have peace, right? It's not going to be effective. So you can't have Gentile believers in Christ and Jewish believers in Christ fighting because the message isn't going to go out. So then we have a response from the Gentiles. And when they read it, of course, <laughs> they rejoiced, right? Because of its encouragement. Oh, good. I mean, could you imagine when these guys came down like, you know, you got to obey the Mosaic law. Part of that's being circumcised. They're like, I don't know about this, okay? I'm not sure about this Christian faith thing. If I got to 
convert to Judaism. What, what's going on? So they were encouraged. Okay, we got stuff from the main hub church in Jerusalem, and they said, okay, you don't have to do that. It's not a requirement for salvation. They rejoiced. They didn't have to follow this Mosaic law. And then it says this. And Judas and Silas, who were with themselves, who were themselves prophets, excuse me, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. So Judas and Silas spent some time there. They were encouraging the believers, teaching them. We don't have all like, you know, all the information on what happened. But basically they spent some time there and then they left. And then Paul and Barnabas, it says, but Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So essentially Paul and Barnabas were the pastors. They were, you know, they spent the time there. They were teaching them. Then chapter 15 closes off. It says, Some time passed, and Barnabas decided to go visit the churches. To, Paul and Barnabas decided to go visit the churches that they had already started. So remember, over the past few weeks, we talked about all the places they visited, right? And when people became saved, they started churches there. So I would only imagine that Paul and Barnabas are thinking, Okay, we got our church here in Antioch with the main hub, and we had this huge problem. Okay, and we, we had to deal with this. So maybe we should go visit the other churches and encourage them, make sure everything's par for the course, make sure everything's going well, make sure there's no false teaching, make sure they're not falling away. So they decide to do that. So in the scriptures, it says Barnabas wanted to bring Mark. Mark was Barnabas's cousin. But Paul didn't want to bring Mark. And the reason why he didn't want to bring Mark, because back in Pamphylia, Mark abandoned them, it says. It says he took off. He, for some reason, he just decided, I'm not doing this anymore. He took off. So Paul, is, he left the work in the ministry. So Paul was like, I don't trust this guy. I don't want to bring him. So here's what happens. And there arose a sharp disagreement. So that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed. Having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Syria and Cilia and, and strengthening the churches. So basically, here's what happens. In closing, we, we, we learn this final little lesson, which is kind of interesting because, you know, the whole chapter is really about these issues in the church, right? But now we have the leaders of the church, Barnabas and Paul, having a disagreement. So what happens? They agree to disagree, and they go separate ways. They agree to disagree, and they go separate ways. Which now when we look at this, and now we know the whole counsel of God, we know how Acts played out and everything, this is pretty amazing. Because believers agreed to disagree. Paul took Silas. Barnabas took Mark. They divided, right? And they actually got more work done. They could have sat there and argued, well, I don't like Mark because of this. Well, he's my cousin. I got to stick with him. Like they could have sat there and argued. It just says a sharp disagreement happened and they separated. They said, hey, listen, you love the Lord. I love the Lord. He loves the Lord. He loves the Lord. Let's go and do the work of the Lord. We have to remember as believers, right? The work of the Lord is what's important. We all have our opinions. 
We all have the things that we think should be certain ways. And guess what? We as Christians can do a huge detriment to the health and well-being of our church and the Christian community if we sit there and argue with one another about different things. So sometimes, like the Jerusalem Council suggested, sometimes it's just a matter of, you know what? I'm going to set aside my right and benefit for the sake of other people. Sometimes it's agree to disagree, but really we have to practice these things in order to actually be effective and get the message out because the gospel message, Jesus dying to pay the price for our sins, Jesus rising from the grave, Jesus saying all who believe will have eternal life is what saves people's souls. And that should be our goal, to get that out to the people in this community.